so, ooh, I like this Bible. It has little notes on the side. But there's like no notes. I <laughs> preached on Mark 1 and even write. I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, there we go. I'm kidding, Lou. All right, how about this? How about um, I read the passage for us, pray, and then we're going to talk a little bit, okay? And we'll try to get through all of it, but I don't think we'll have time, but we'll do our best. All right, Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says this. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there is no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let the bed which the paralytic they let let down the bed in which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic here, sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Verse 13. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners... And tax collectors said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of, of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, this is your word, and we ask now that you would you'd speak to us, God, wherever we are. God, whether we are in the midst of agony, and sorrow and sadness, I pray that, that we would see the compassion of our Lord and Savior Jesus, that, that whether or not, God, we are living as if life is all that it should be, I pray that you continue to challenge us and encourage us in the way of being a disciple of Christ. Pray all of this for your namesake. Amen. If I only gave my kids what they wanted, dot, dot, dot. This is the words I have down for my introduction. If I only gave my kids what they wanted, they would never go to sleep by themselves. If I only gave my kids what they wanted, they would have candy for every meal. If I only gave my kids what they wanted, we would only watch Paw Patrol 24-7. If I only gave my kids what they wanted, all four of them would 
ride in the pink car seat in the back of the minivan. If I only gave my kids what they wanted, I think they would survive for about three days. I have little children, and little children um, need to be taken care of. They need to be told what is good for them. They need to have things spelled out for them. They need someone to prepare food for them and to tell them to go to bed and when to use the restroom. They need people who know them better than themselves to help them. When I was thinking about that illustration, I wondered if in the first grade, I remember doing this assignment, the first time I ever was asked, Aaron, what do you want to be when you become a grown-up? Noticing the answers surrounded by my fellow first graders, one girl said, I want to be an astronaut. Some other boy said, he wants to be president of America. And then when uh, my turn came and a teacher pointed and said, Aaron, what would you like to be when you grow up? I want to be a ninja. <laughs> I don't know about these guys. But what, if, what if the first time you ever said what you wanted to be when you grew up and you had to become that? How many princesses and ninjas would there be in the world, right? Because here's the thing. When we are small and we're kids, we don't really know always what's best for us. How, why, were you, why would you ask a first grader? I mean, there's a lesson involved that we should have inspirations and dreams and plan and, and have goals, something like that. And it's good to have motivation towards certain things. But I mean, I mean, I talk to so many people and I ask them what their profession is. And they tell me, I'm like, yeah, because we're, we're in the second grade. We just dream of, I'd love to sit in a cubicle at the state of Washington and do X, Y, and Z, right? I mean, a lot of the things that we end up doing in life aren't really necessarily the things that we dreamed about. And so when we come to this passage, I'm paused because it's kind of unique. It's kind of like Jesus is telling these people, like, hey, listen, you don't really know what you want. You really don't know what's good for you. And that makes me a little uncomfortable. Because in all reality, sometimes I think I do know what I need. And Jesus, if you just gave it to me, life would be a whole lot better. I don't, maybe when I was a kid, I, I can appreciate that my brain wasn't fully developed, but I'm 25 now. I could rent a car without getting the extra, you know, charge. Like, my brain is fully developed. Jesus, I think I know what I want. I know what I need. Why don't you just give it to me? We don't like being kind of told by our parents still, right? Like, well, you don't really know what you want. Let me, you know, if you're at a restaurant, you know, you're like 16 years old, the average age in this group, and you, you order something and your mom says, no, 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 no. They don't know what they're talking about. Get them the macaroni and cheese with some green grapes and they're cut in half, and he won't take chocolate milk, he'll just take water. <laughs> Right? Like, time out, yo. I ain't four. I said I wanted steak, and I wanted medium, and I don't want the baked potato. I want french fries on the side. And make that a Coke. <laughs> so we have this story where Jesus, he's, he's back at home. He's in his own little territory. A lot of people think that he's probably at Peter's house. 
you know, Peter had a decent-sized house, but not big enough for everyone to fit, and so it's crowded, and he's teaching, and we get this really unique story. You hear the sawing. You know, I'll make the saw noise, but I tried. And uh, these guys, they, they, they take their friend, who's a paralytic, he can't walk. And they see that, that they, they want to bring him to Jesus. And, uh, oh man, they ain't working. So they, they put a hole in Peter's roof. And I, by the way, like, if you just like, finish the story, at the end of it, I'm sure Peter's still like, but who's going to fix my roof? <laughs> Who, you know, I just feel like he's probably like, and everyone just kind of walks away. And so, Figure it out, man. And they, they bring, look at verse 4. And when they could not get near down, uh, excuse me, and they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. I mean, they're persistent at least, right? They're active. So imagine Jesus was with us right now. Imagine it was crowded. Imagine, you know, people actually came to youth group, everyone who's supposed to be here, and all of their friends, and their people, you know, the line is out up to the hub, and people trying to get in to find Jesus. So I was like, you know, I'm not messing around. I'm going to climb through the roof to get to this Jesus. Because you have a really important thing to ask Jesus for. Like, all these people, they have really important things, you know, but this dude's like, he has an ingrown toenail, man. Get out of the way. Like, go to your podiatrist down the road, right? This kid has a flu. Like, you're fine, man. They got antibiotics for that. I don't know. Terry, did they give antibiotics for the flu? I don't There you go. It's not a viral thing. Whatever. <laughs> but you, you're like, I actually have something where I have to come to Jesus. And, you, and, you, and you, you somehow get your friends, your engineer friends maybe, or just people who are good at breaking things, and, and, you, and you come down to the roof... And he hey, Jesus. He's like, hey, let me stop you. Let me stop you here. Hey. Your sins are forgiven. Cool. But that's not really why I'm here. <laughs> right? Imagine like you've had cancer and you've had given three weeks to live. And like you're a walking time bomb. And all these people are here and you have Jesus. And some friends help you get to the roof. And, you, and you're about to ask. And Jesus is like, hey, your sins are forgiven. Appreciate the gesture. <laughs> it's not quite what I had in mind. I'm like, I'm like, I'm startled by that a little bit. You know, I wonder like how many times I come to the Lord in prayer, I come to Jesus, and I say, Jesus, if only you would help me with this thing. Jesus responds, Hey, Aaron, your sins are forgiven. Yeah, I got that, man. I got that memo. But this. And I'm trying to raise a point here. Because I think, I think Mark here is trying to get us to, to be aware of the kind of the juxtaposition here a little bit, the tension. Now, why did that paralytic go to all that work to ask his friends to put a hole in the roof, to bring him down to Jesus? Did, did he go there simply to hear the words, Son, your sins are forgiven? Or was he there to hopefully be healed of his paralysis and be able to walk? So when I read this story, this is what I see. I see a story of Jesus' ability to know 
what we really need, even when we don't know what we need. In essence, Jesus, when he looks at this man coming to the roof, he was telling him that, hey, listen, you think that if you had your ability to walk again, if you had your paralysis wiped away, then you would finally be happy. But Jesus, when he sees this man, he knows that he needs much, much more. And Jesus gave him something more. My first point tonight is this, that Jesus gives us what we really need. Jesus knew that if only he had paralysis, that this man would feel complete. He would feel whole. But is that what the man really needed? I want to raise the question for us in our own lives. What are the things that you go to God for? What are the times of crisis and maybe the the deep desires of our heart? We say, Jesus, if if I only had this, life would be a lot better. Put simply and honestly, um, I got married young. And uh, the financial pressure to provide at the age of 20 and 21 was hard. And I often had very little money in my bank account with very big expenses. Lord, like, thank you for my wife. She's a great blessing. Lord, thank you for letting me study theology and Greek and Hebrew. But God, I, life is really hard. And if you could just help me get just some more money. Oh, that would just be, I, I just knew that if I just had a couple more thousand dollars in my bank account, then I could really coast and life would be really good. Deeper. Lord, if you just made me a really good communicator, if I just could preach really good, then I'll feel really good about what I'm doing. Deeper. Jesus, if you just took away all of these arrogant people and hard relationships, then ministry will really be the way it should be. And I pray about these things. I pray about the Lord giving me more money. I pray about, God, give me better skills. God, give me, get rid of these people who are just wasting time. And it's almost like to say that sometimes all of us, whatever it is for you, we have these many saviors. Just like this man, his many savior was, hey, if if I can just finally get healed, then life will be better. If you could just finally be good at one thing, you might reason to yourself, man, this person's really good at football, this person's good at just looking good in general, no matter what. This person's really good at making friends, but if I could just be good at one thing, maybe it's like an instrument, or maybe if I'm just really good at grades, the rest of life can be kind of whatever, but I'm good at this one thing. Well, hey, that person's really good at science, but man, check out my KDR in Call of Duty. (laughs) These people might have all the boyfriends and girlfriends, but I have straight A's. Whatever it is. Do you want to be liked by people? Do you want to be admired by your peers? Do you want to have 
an achievement of a certain standard of living one day. And when we kind of say, like, Lord, if I can just have this one thing, then I'll feel complete. Let me say something. Being good at one thing isn't wrong. I played guitar in high school, and I practiced my, my scales, and I practiced um, little riffs, and, and I got good at guitar for a season. And being, is being good at guitar bad? No, it's a great thing, and I, I thank the Lord for people who have honed their craft and make great music for everyone to enjoy. Is it bad to have a desire to have a good standard of living one day? No. Is it bad to want to have friends? Sure hope not. But what if they become the many saviors in our life? The things that we say, Jesus, if you just made me like this person, if you took away some of these unfortunate things with my family, Jesus, if you just helped me with this. And here's the message I think Jesus says to us is the same message he's communicating to this man. Imagine Jesus looks at this man and says, you may be empty and angry because you can't walk. But if I give this to you, it will only make you worse. You know, I think one comedian once said, um, the worst thing that God could ever do for you is give you what you really want. Because, in essence, the, the thing that we really need, the thing that we don't really always know, that we need to be told, is Jesus. Our real problem in life isn't that we need these things to make us better or feel complete or successful. Our problem is that we are building our identity and resting our hopes on other little saviors besides Jesus himself. So we ask the question again. If Jesus was in this building and you knew he was here with all of his miraculous power, what would you tear the roof off to ask him for? Whatever you wanted. If you, if you had Jesus at your disposal to ask him anything that you des- desire or need, it's scary. For me to try to answer that question. Because more or less, more times, often than not, it's things that would prop me up and make life a little better. But this is, this is what I think Jesus wants us to know from this passage. To trust Jesus, that he knows you better than yourself. Just as I know my, my daughter Abigail... I know what she needs. I know, I guess I've read some books on what four-year-olds are like. But, but I know that sometimes the request that she asked for would bring harm. And Jesus, listen, Jesus is asking you to do the same thing. Hey, listen, he's telling you, like, just trust me that I know you better than yourself. Jesus knows all the complexities of your heart. He knows your background. He knows your future. He knows where you are right now. And he's saying, just trust me that I know you better than even yourself. That he knows your problems. He knows your needs. And he wants you to know that he is the Savior that you need. 
all the other many saviors, saviors that we have are, are good things that we just say, this thing is really going to rescue me. What would it look like for a high schooler to trust God like this? What would it look like for you to, to, to have Jesus as your Savior and to be content in what his words are, that, son, your sins are forgiven? Maybe you would begin to, to live a Christian life that isn't so um, performance-based. I mean, I, it just resonates so much with David's testimony, and, and truthfully, like, uh, it, it choked me up hearing him talk. Just th- this desire to, to try to please God out of fear and shame. But let me tell you, and I'll quote from the words of Tim Keller here, the Jesus you need is not a savior who does your bidding, who you can turn to and say, Jesus, give me this and everything will be okay. Too many times we look at Jesus like a generous grandparent who's unwilling to say no to anything and give us whatever we want at our disposal. Jesus, give me this and everything will be okay. We do not need a savior who's like that. The Jesus that you need, the Jesus that you need as a ninth grader, as a 10th grader, as 11th or 12th grader, the Jesus you need is the Jesus is the one who says no. And more than that, that your request is actually your problem. Because too often we put our hopes in other saviors besides Jesus himself. That's the savior we need. Can you guys see that in the story? You see, again, how how strange it would be that, that this man who's coming down, his friends, I mean, think of the the persistent and the active faith that they have. I mean, some of us here need to be challenged by these guys. We sit in a chair week after week and we're being told all these things about Christ and what it means to be a disciple, and yet we are passive when it comes to faith. How many of us would actually do whatever we could to get close to Jesus, to ask him these things? How many of us would would drag our friends and bring them to Jesus, right? Faith isn't some kind of thing where I just hear a bunch of things and I go on and live my day. It's, a, it's an active, per, participating role. So we're still left with this kind of tension. Son, your sins are forgiven. Cool. But Jesus gives him something, doesn't he? And I kind of, I kind of uh, question here for, some, uh, for a second, right? So look at verse 5 again. And when Jesus saw their faith, okay, that's interesting, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Well, what strikes me as odd about that is how can you offer something to someone who never asked for it? Like, isn't Jesus being a little pretentious here, a little forward by, hey, I know you didn't ask, but your sins, your, your sins are forgiven. I didn't, even, I didn't even ask for that. Why, why are you telling me that? And so this kind of raises up this question. What, what did Jesus see? He saw that they tore a hole in the roof to bring him down. He saw their faith. And even though their faith was primarily marked by this mini savior, that if only I could walk again, I'd be better. And even if I just had this one little thing, my life would be on a completely new trajectory. Even though it was marked by a selfish ambition, what he noticed something. Their faith. 
And here's the thing about faith. Sometimes it is small. Sometimes in it, it is, it is ingrained with worldly desires, and it is ingrained with many little saviors. But somehow in the midst of all that, Jesus can see that there was still this earnest desire to come to him. And this raises some questions, right? Why does this man speak like that? He's blasting me. They have the right theology, right? They say, who can forgive sins but God alone? Who the heck does this guy think he is? What do you mean your sins are forgiven? And it is here where I think Jesus is actually setting up the perfect opportunity to, one, demonstrate his authority, but two, to communicate to this man what he really needs. His story is our story. Second point is this. Jesus makes us wait for things we ask for. So clearly this man, I mean, I didn't come all the way. I didn't tear a roof in Peter's house just to be heard the words, your sins are forgiven. He wanted his paralysis to go away, right? But Jesus kind of waits for a second. First he tells him, your sins are forgiven. And he deals with this conflict that the, the scribes and the Pharisees say, yo, who the heck is this guy? And so Jesus plays along, right? So look at verse 9. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So Jesus uses this as an opportunity. Right? So if Jesus would have just kind of said right off the cusp, hey man, uh, you're good to go. See you later. I healed you. And then as he's walking out, he would say, hey, hey, by the way, uh, don't forget, your sins are forgiven. Imagine if the roles were reversed. Right? You come to Jesus, you got cancer, and he puts your hand, his hand on you, pours some oil on your head, gives you some like shampoo maybe. Hey, no more cancer for you. Like, oh, sweet. Walking away. Hey, by the way, your sins are forgiven. But in one sense, if you're a leper like this guy and you start walking around, you can totally see the result of your being healed. But how do you tell whether or not someone's sins are forgiven? It's a very inwards thing. There's no physical demonstration for that. And so Jesus flips them around in order to demonstrate, to show the authority, to show the fact that he actually can as God's representative and as God himself have the power to forgive sins. And so what he says is, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed and went out before them all. But do you see how he made him wait? Might have been for like just a couple of minutes, though. Might have been just for a couple of seconds, but sometimes even with us, we ask for things. God, this is a really difficult, challenging thing in my life. God, God, this is really, really hard. I'm coming to you for my comfort. God, I'm coming to you to resolve this issue. And we don't hear the answer we hear right away. And sometimes we might not ever hear the answer on this side of eternity, but here's the thing. God makes us wait for the things we ask for because he wants to demonstrate to us the power and the authority that he has. That he wants us to know. Sometimes, because listen, do you, do you realize sometimes God will tell you no in order to teach you that what you really need is 
to make Jesus your identity and not these things that you're praying for. In his grace, God will purposely keep hard things in your life to shape you, to mold you, to encourage you to not look to these many saviors, but rather to look to him. Who has the authority to forgive sins other than God? What a miraculous story of faith. What a miraculous story of friends bringing their friends to Jesus. But do you also notice that the kind of like the pushback, the antagonism in these guys? Man, who the heck is this Jesus guy? Telling people his sins are forgiven. I mean, that's pretty cool and all. But look down a little bit further. Verse 13, he's going out and he sees this guy. Verse 14, as he passed by, he saw Levi sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. Verse 15, and as he reclined at his table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners, like listen, by the way, when we hear that word tax collector in the Bible, we don't even have a modern equivalent for the hatred that a Jew would have towards a tax collector. Take that back. As some people who may lean left politically, which is fine if you do, the way they hate Donald Trump may be the same in which people hate tax collectors, if not worse. Because can I tell you something? Tax collectors make even the worst person in the world look good. And Jesus, what is he doing? He's hanging out with them. He's, he's dining at their table. Now listen, you at your school, sometimes you don't get to choose who you sit by. Maybe you sit down with a friend and some other people sit down at the table and you're kind of like, that person, but I'm already here, so okay, you kind of eat lunch. But let me tell you something. When you ate with someone in their culture, and their contacts, it, it was a, a huge point of hospitality. It was a point of community. You were associating. It's like a, a big deal. And these, these scribes, they look at Jesus, the Pharisees, and they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said, why in the world does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? That's my paraphrase a little bit. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And here's the point. You guys ready for this? Jesus requires nothing of anyone's performance or morals to be associated with him. Jesus does not require good performance to be with him. Here's the question then. You ready? Why do we treat the people in our minds who we think are morally loose as too far gone? Why do we make categories in our head and associate people that person smokes weed. Oh. That person likes to drink. And they get drunk. That person has a lot of sex. You know, it's interesting. You always ask the question, if Jesus were to come back now, we all assume that he'd come and visit us. Isn't that funny how we do that? I do that. Like if all, you know, all the 7 billion people on the earth, he'd come <coughs> see Aaron Garnett, right? Why do they hate that? Why do they hate that Jesus is associating himself with people who are hated? 
They're marginalized, who just are the scum of the earth. Because for them to hear the words that I came not to call the righteous but sinners is for them to have to admit that they themselves are sinners. That if Jesus came for them, that they are not the good people that they should have been. How many of us write off people because of their behaviors or morals? And if you can honestly say you've never done that before, I'm not sure I'll believe you. Because sometimes we do on the other way around. We're against the againsters. The people who do point their finger and say, hey, you shouldn't do this. You're wrong. How dare you? Believe in God, you atheist. Da, 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 da. We kind of go on the other side. We start pointing a finger at them. You know, there's the againsters, and then there's the against the againsters people. Weird as it is. Why do we do this? Why do we characterize people into groups? Well, I think it's, it's because we forget that we are sinners ourselves that Jesus came to save. What do all these stories, what do these two stories have in common? What are all my points getting at? That the Jesus friend of sinners is the Savior you need. He's not the Savior who is like a grandparent who gives you anything that you ask for. But he is the Savior who takes you as you are, wherever you are, and tells you this one thing. What you really need is me. What all of you really need is a Savior from sin. And that is good news. Do you know why? Because as fallen and as depraved as we are, and we all have our, 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 the ways in which sin affects us differently, Jesus finds us as we are. He says, I'll sit by you. I'll associate with you. You may think that if you just got good grades, that you'd be happy. That's not true. You just think, man, if this person really liked me and I could get them to date me, then, then it'll be kind of complete. Jesus says, that's not true. That might be good. Nothing wrong with trying to find a spouse. You might think, man, if I can just get into this college, get this job, then my life will be complete. As necessary as school and having a job is, that's not, that's not what makes you human. But what makes us human is having a relationship with our Savior. And which sometimes he'll tell us no, but you know what he'll never tell us no of? He'll never say, no, my forgiveness is not for you. But to the willing and repentive heart, to the heart that knows that it is only in Jesus can they be declared right with God. We can always be assured that we will hear the words, son, your sins are forgiven. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these words, and we pray as we go to small groups that we can uh, just confess, encourage, uh, repent if we need, um, and just to reflect on the Savior, Jesus, the Savior of sinners. Help us, Lord, to, to be like him in every way. Amen.